0: Hello, this is Harrison Kim, and you're listening to Working With People by PaveStep. The Working With People podcast is for executives, managers, and people leaders. We bring people experts together to provide you with relevant content on how to think about and manage your most important asset, your talent. So we have Sean here today. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. Thanks for having me. Excited to have you here. Before we get started, I would love to just give our audience a chance to get to know you a little bit better. Tell us what you do and who you are.
1: So, my name's Sean Walker, and I'm a partner with the Bowdoin Group. And the Bowdoin Group is an executive search firm, 45-person executive search firm, based in Boston, Massachusetts. And we focus in four specific areas. We focus within the digital health and healthcare IT space, life sciences, fintech, and enterprise software sector. And I've been with the firm for 22 years, and I've been part of building three different practices within the firm, including our fintech and digital health practice. 22 years, it's a long time. Yeah, 22 years has been a really long time. We've been through, obviously over those years, we've been through a lot. We've been through dot-com bubbles bursting, 9-11, been through some really challenging economic times during the financial crisis. Certainly with what's happening with COVID right now, we've really seen some some interesting dynamics within the executive search sector.
0: Right, Uh, I can only imagine. So today we're talking about executive search and recruiting and retention thinking about what makes a good leader, all that good stuff. So to start off with, you know, why is executive talent so much more important today than it was, you know, even four, six, seven weeks ago? What is the impact of executive talent on business performance, especially during these types of
1: difficult times? You know, it's interesting. It's a great question. Well, I have to say that, you know, executives have to understand the complex situation in front of them and really the dynamics that are being created for their business right now actually need to search for opportunities and instances where maybe right off the bat, it doesn't seem like there might be an opportunity. Mm -hmm. So what we're seeing right now is, you know, let's talk about for COVID and our new reality, sometimes CEOs are faced with types of questions of, Hey, do we need to shift our business model? Obviously there'll be post COVID questions, our new reality of how are we going to be traveling? And was that a really important component to our business and, It could be even something as simple as like they were contemplating getting commercial space and even need as much as we initially thought now that we're meeting with each other over Zoom and things like that. So it's been an interesting time from that standpoint, and I think executives that can take a pause and for a moment understand what's happening in front of them and really start making the right types of moves now are the ones that are, are shining and the ones that people tend to look to to lead.
0: Yeah. And I think you see this over and over in different, in basically all industries, how leaders and companies react to these types of difficult situations truly defines how they come back out. A hundred percent. And usually the ones that do well turn out to become market leaders, industry leaders after these types of downturns. So it's a, it's a really interesting time right now.
1: It is. And we'll see CEOs and founders be faced with challenging moments right now. And we can see the ones that are pausing and really not sure what to do Mm -hmm. and they're grinding a bit. And we see others that, although they might not know exactly what's going to be happening in front of them, they look at the market dynamics. They look at what their business has and they make their best guess as far as what can happen. And oftentimes as they're moving forward, they're able to pivot and shift along the way. And Mm -hmm. sometimes different opportunities arise right in front of them. And those are the ones that seem to be the most successful. That makes a lot of sense. And
0: employees, I think, tend to follow rock star leaders, especially in these types of times. What skills do these rock star leaders possess, in, you know, in your experience? What have you seen are the best qualities that a leader should have?
1: I think I'll build on the theme that we just talked about. I think rock star leaders understand the complex situation in front of them as much as they can. I'll emphasize that point. Mm-hmm. They understand the dynamics it's producing. They're able to make strategic decisions. They can predict results and understand where the business is going and what it can do. So we'll look at different qualities around what make these type of leaders, quote, unquote, rock stars. Mm -hmm. What kind of characteristics do these people possess? Well, there's certainly, once they understand those dynamics, there's a decisiveness about them. They are ready to move. There's a directness and transparency about them, meaning they'll tell everybody around them what they're doing and why they're doing what they're doing. And in this situation, what we see, and this isn't talked about all the time and not often seen in our competency decks when we talk about executives, but we really see a vulnerability. What I mean by that is like, look, they'll come out and say, hey, based upon these market dynamics, this is where we're going. We can't predict the future, right? Right. We don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to make the best decision based upon the data that we have at hand. So they're going to admit to not having all of the answers. But based upon the data and based upon the information that they have in front of them, they create a strategy. So they're strategic. They'll bring it out to the masses and talk to them about it. And then they'll actually take a pause and they'll listen. They will seek feedback from the people around them. Lastly, once they understand and get the information from everybody that they feel would be valuable contributors to what they're doing, then they'll look to collaborate and make sure that everybody can get involved and really every person within that company has a role, right. and how do you make sure that everybody understands what role that will be?
0: It's truly right now is an all-hands-on-deck type of situation. I think so. That makes sense. And, and it's interesting. I've actually never heard of vulnerability as a trait that good and rock star leaders have, but I think you're right. They're open about talking about it and letting people know, hey, I'm not perfect. Our strategy may not be perfect right now. Here's the best we can do. Let's figure it out. And if I'm wrong, you got to call me out.
1: <laughs> right. And they'll, they'll take some time to listen. And mm-hmm. literally, most people are all on the front line together, and everyone's getting a little bit of information from different people, and you want to encourage everybody to share what they're hearing out there. Right. Right, and that right. vulnerability of saying, look, I might not have all of the answers, and I'm open to listening to the rest of you, and really taking that in empowers not only the, you know, the leader themselves, but also the entire team, mm-hmm. and they will follow.
0: And I think the listening, the listening aspect of this is really interesting because right now we're in such a weird place where obvious decisions may not actually be obvious anymore. And there's a huge reputational risk for companies and leaders personally. It's hard to stay closely connected with your customers or clients or consumers as the CEO or a leader. And I think listening becomes really critical in this case because they're able to feel out exactly what the community or their stakeholders are talking about.
1: I think you bring up a great point because these CEOs and these industry leaders aren't traveling as much. Maybe they do have a little bit of extra time out there for themselves. <laughs> and actually those are the times to carve out, to actually get as connected as you possibly can right. to the whole ecosystem that you just described, your clients, your customers. If you're in a larger organization, make sure you talk to your employees. Right. And really get that time to learn from them as well.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. So where can organizations and companies find these awesome rock star leaders? You know, how should they think about their strategy and process?
1: If there's a silver bullet answer, I I would love it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, really, they're in any industry, so it's not like there's this secret place where to find them. A rock star leader actually could be different for you than it might mean for for me, right, Mm -hmm. or our organization, or an A-round or a B-round company versus company that just went public or for a Fortune 500 company, a rock star leader could look very different in different places. And one place where it might be a rock star leader in A-round or B-round could actually be a disaster for a larger company. Right. So if you're looking to hire a, a rock star leader right now, the question is understanding what the key characteristics of the executive that you're looking for. What does a rock star mean for, for your company? hmm when we talk about a Fortune 500 company versus an A-Round or a B-Round, I'll give you an example. An A-Round or a rounder, or ab round rock star CRO, chief revenue officer, mm-hmm. oftentimes we get asked for somebody who can really thread a needle. This is somebody who will go out there and will sell to a particular market, get their hands dirty, will meet with the clients, actually execute on a few sales. Right. Simultaneously, they want us to thread that needle to be strategic and operational enough to understand once they've sold it, how do we actually strategically build out that team? What operations do we put in? And what KPIs do we do? That type of person won't necessarily be all that great for a Fortune 500 company, nor will that rock star person be as interested in working for the Fortune 500 company because a lot of those processes are in place, Mm -hmm. and a lot of those KPIs are being done, and the growth aspect of what they're trying to build and do looks very different and might not be as hands-on as certainly an A-round or B-round company would have.
0: Right. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I think A-round, B-round companies, it's a really interesting example that you bring up because I think a lot of founders make a mistake of hiring their first VP of sales, someone who's an awesome account executive or a salesperson who's really outgoing, who's got some good connections and things like that. And then I've heard of many, many friends of mine who are founders be like, this is actually not the person I needed. Right. The person I needed was someone who can think strategically and put a process in place that, so that you know, he or she can scale the team once this person understands the sales cycle.
1: That's such a complicated needle to thread, right? Right, right. The ability to actually know how to strategically build and to scale that aspect mm-hmm. is so key in growing and accelerating that company.
0: It's uh, it's a really interesting, you know, I, I love the fact that you're defining you know rockstar as something that's different for every type of company, probably even industry and timing. What a rockstar CEO looks like right now may not be what a rockstar CEO should have looked like six weeks ago or a year ago.
1: That's a perfect point. We'll see that both on the client side and also even on the candidate side. 45 days ago, What a great candidate might look like for our client looks very different actually today. Even candidates that were in the process of an executive search 45 days ago and now today, some of those candidates immediately drop out because they're risk-averse. It was a scenario that we didn't necessarily account for, but they've bailed because they're like, you know what? I'm not moving anywhere until I get a better picture about what's going on. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, some people who are a little bit more entrepreneurial or actually might be in a scenario where they're looking at what their company looks like today, they're more apt actually to interview for the job now Right. <laughs> more 45 days ago. We've really watched the deck chairs kind of shift significantly in such a short time. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
0: So in terms of the strategies to really attract these executive leaders, is it all that different from the strategy of attracting non-executive employees
1: It's a good question. We don't get asked that very often. I'd say it's incredibly different in attracting an executive if you just think about it from a motivational perspective. Executive leaders, motivators are really different than non-C-level employees. I would say that most executives are really self-aware and have more experience, so they really know what their strengths and weaknesses are. So one, again, let's go back to the startup uh, analogy. One executive might love taking a startup from $5 million to $20 million. But once it starts becoming operationally oriented and more corporate, they know that they actually want to leave and get back to what that was before. Another executive might be motivated working for a $200 million company because that's where their strengths lie. Basically, executives also really want part of ownership. They want to be part of that company. Typically, they seek equity. Mm-hmm. They want a seat at the table. They want to help and be part of the strategy of the company. Mm -hmm. And they really want to know what type of impact that they directly can make. And that is super important to them. When we take the step back and understanding what the motivators of an executive would be, that's often how we actually might market to them as well. We might individually market to them differently than we might an individual contributor. Non-executive employees generally care about personal career development, maybe training, maybe their trajectory messaging to them would look very different how we might market to them as well got it i will say one common point between all parties a lot of people really do and are very sincerely interested in the company's culture and so if you have a high performing culture that is something that you really want to bear to market and you want to let a lot of people know about it culture's not all that great right now it's something that you may want to take a look at and make sure that you've got the right people leading it so
0: it's one of those things that can't be Fully described all the time, but you want to make sure you're on the positive side of it when someone tries to describe it.
1: That's exactly right. And if people fumble on that, sometimes that can be a yellow flag. Absolutely.
0: So we talked a little bit about startups versus larger organizations and how great leaders look differently in those different situations. When it comes to strategies of attracting top executives, is it different for startups versus large organizations? And especially for startups A-round, around, B-round, C-round, because they are sometimes fighting these big enterprises for this type of talent, even though it may not be the perfect match. How should startups think about that?
1: Well, I think a common theme that you'll hear amongst all startups will be they get sometimes wary of the Fortune 500 companies. What I mean by that is if somebody comes from only Fortune 500 companies, the immediate question that will get asked is, will they get their hands dirty? Will they have grit? Will they go out there and sell? Will they do that marketing piece? Might they code? or Whatever it needs to happen on that side, there really is that grit aspect about it. And sometimes that's fair and sometimes that's not fair to Fortune 500 executives who might want to take a stab at being part of a startup. Mm-hmm. But that is one area that goes across the board within any executive member of the startup organization. For larger companies, maybe it's a strategic initiative. Maybe it's different ways to operationalize something. And sometimes it's much, it might be a large ownership of a much larger team. Mm-hmm. And so from that aspect, those types of key characteristics of somebody who can actually execute at that level, be that top strategic thinker might not always come from a startup either. It's a fair assessment on either side. That makes sense. So right now,
0: we're obviously seeing a lot of, you know, successful startups over the last 10, 20 years create a lot of these, you know, sometimes younger leaders in various industries, especially in technology. Yeah. How do generational differences play into executive leadership, you know, recruiting and retention? Any big highlights or differences there?
1: I'd say for sure. We could break it down between millennials or Gen Xers and the baby boom. Mm -hmm. So I think millennials can be terrific challengers for the norm and the status quo. Their expectations of wanting to have things delivered to them quicker, better, faster. The creative ideas that have come from that generation have been tremendous and are really contributing to innovation every day. I think within the Gen Xers, starting to come of age really at the C-suite. Right. What we've been able to do and us uh, to step up is basically provide some real valuable insights through experience. Right? We just talked about the dot-com bubble bursting and, right. and then the financial crisis. And those executives are, are able to really find opportunities and navigate a lot during the most challenging times. And because they've been through some of these things before, there's a way to act during that time and they can create a nice leadership moment for other people. And the interesting side is on the baby boomer side, they're firmly entrenched on the executive side, or they're even starting to graduate out of the C-suite and move to the board. I find there's an element of steadiness and a consultative nature through patience and listening that they can also provide. It's funny. If you asked me this question, say, 45 days ago, there was all of these kind of pointing the fingers and the millennials saying, okay, boomer, and, you know, all (laughs) the jokes or what have you. Yeah. But what I have seen over the last 45 days, which has been awesome, and sometimes you look for silver linings in these types of moments, Mm -hmm. I think there's really been a collaboration amongst all three groups in this time of crisis. I think there's an appreciation of what each group brings to the table now more than in normal times.
0: Right. The generational differences, whatever they may be, don't seem that important. It's not. (laughs) And it's interesting, the point you make about the younger leaders who – Don't have the experience compared to the older leaders today, especially around downturn, the dot com bubble, all this type of stuff. For young leaders, a recession or a downturn is really just the story, right? They've never lived through it. It's really just a graph of the S&P 500, for example. Even now, I don't, I personally don't think we've gotten there yet. We have so much government aid and the, the economy seems like it's still trying to hold on and operate as well as it can. We're not there yet in terms of the trough. I I definitely think there's a huge value that comes from experience here.
1: Right, there is. And to your point, we're looking at at the dynamics of COVID, which we're all in the midst of. And then there's just post-COVID as far as when things start sliding the other way, and hopefully we're starting to see that right now. And then there's that new reality. Mm -hmm. And that new reality of what we're facing is undefined. And sometimes those new realities actually is where opportunities lie. And we've seen that each and every time. And this is those types of scenarios where we can look to collaborate with each other and really share the best practices and ideas here to really not only get us to the other side, but to really make things better on the other side. I'm looking forward to that.
0: Absolutely. So, you know, what are some of the ways that companies can evaluate leadership talent more accurately? I think that's always a... Difficult thing in recruiting, assessing behaviors, skills, competency, et cetera, more accurately. When it comes to executive leaders, what are some ways that companies can do that?
1: I think that's a good question. You actually have to take a step back first and ask yourself, you know, are we really evaluating it today? And if we are, how are we doing it? Are there internal measurement tools that we're using? What are our um, KPIs? How what, what are we saying of what makes a, a great leader? And What are we saying as far as what achievement might look for in each bucket of the leaders of what you have? Mm-hmm. And are the ways that we're measuring and evaluating talent today, are those sufficient to reach the company goals, which is obviously what we want to do first and foremost? And is it really a good set of measurement tools to understand what everybody is bringing to the table? And are we collectively achieving that together? once you have those type of measurement tools and you do have that type of setup, you need to then take a step back and say, okay, let's take a look at the strengths of our current team today. Let's identify those gaps and let's see and find out if we do have the right people to complement each other to get us to where we need to be. Oftentimes when people take that step back, they do understand that sometimes there are gaps there. And then you might have a conversation around the existing team and say, do we have the ability ourselves to fill in those existing gaps, and then sometimes in a COVID environment like this, you might stop and say, you know what, yeah, we do, we're going to be all right. There are even moments, even in this time, where those gaps are too big or actually those gaps become glaring more of a hole than what it even looked like 45 days ago. That's actually at times we we still get called.
0: Right. Perfect. So we've spent the last 20 minutes talking about a lot of really interesting things around executive talent executive recruiting. I have one last fun question for you. Your favorite easy go-to
1: restaurant in Boston area. <laughs> I love that question. And man, would I love to go to any restaurant right now? <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, I think, like the easy going kind of like casual play might be going to, I'll plug row 34. And right now that would be able to go out and get some oysters and yeah. some really good craft beer
0: yeah. and
1: be able to hang out with either family or friends.
0: Or that, just alone with other people.
1: <laughs> I don't care. Get me out of my house. Yeah. But, yeah, something like that sounds pretty darn good right now.
0: Thank you for that. Sean, thank you for your time. Where can the audience find you and your thought leadership?
1: You can find us at BowdoinGroup.com, certainly. And, again, it's Sean Walker. I'm a partner with the Bowden Group, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And if you want to connect with me there, by all means, please do so. And Harrison, I want to thank you for taking the time to put together some really thoughtful questions, and it's really been terrific getting to know you along the way as well. Likewise. Thank you. All right. Have a good one.
0: Thank you for listening to Working With People by PaveStep. If you like this episode, feel free to check us out on pavestep.com slash podcast.